Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. If you will, will you turn back to Acts chapter 16 where Teddy was leading us through that passage as we read it just a few moments ago, Acts chapter 16. Um, we're going to see the second missionary trip started in this passage. It's been a couple of weeks since we we're in the book of Acts. We had a baptism last week. and um, So let me just quickly remind you of everything that happened. Uh, chapter 15 was a full and exciting account. Uh, false doctrine had threatened the church in chapter 15, threatened the church's great commission efforts. Um, so if you remember, they had a council of church leaders in Jerusalem, uh, and they pretty much put out a, a confession of faith, we could say a doctrinal statement. Uh, two of the leaders there in Jerusalem uh, were Paul and Barnabas, and they returned back to their church up in Antioch to give them the decision that was made uh, by that council as they were guided by God's Word and Holy Spirit. And then as chapter 15 closed, um, Paul and Barnabas were ready to go on a second missionary trip. Uh, they wanted to strengthen all the churches that they planted on the first mission trip. But if you remember, at the end of chapter 15, they actually ended up splitting up into two mission teams due to personal reasons. And that's where chapter 16 comes into play. From here on out, in the book of Acts, God has Luke record the missionary endeavors of Paul and his teammates. And we read verses 1 through 15 earlier, but before we go verse by verse here and take a look at uh, what we're uh, given from the Lord, and see how disciple-making happens uh, on this mission trip. Before we do that, let's ask the Lord to guide us. Uh, let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning, that section we've already read. Now we're going to pour into it and, and really um, try to see what, uh, what it is that you have for us, what you want to teach us this morning, uh, how you want to transform us. So I pray that that is what would happen. Um, Lord, I pray that as we, um, as we are involved in the Great Commission, the things that we learn here in the book of Acts, um, the examples of obstacles that they face, that we are going to face, Lord, I pray that we would overcome them just as they did. Uh, the opportunities that they had. Lord, I, I pray that as we go about our lives on a daily basis, we would see uh, the plethora of opportunities you give us regularly that sometimes we're just not aware of. God, would you please give us uh, an awareness, a cognizance of how many opportunities you give us on a daily basis to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, um, Lord, I, I pray that we would learn to trust you just like this mission team did. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, in the first five verses here of chapter 16, God informs us of this mission team's disciple-making opportunities in Galatia. There's a lot of geography in this passage. Teddy, you did a pretty good job there. There's a lot of crazy words, um, a lot of names we're not familiar with. And uh, it's in these verses that we see the team expanded. Verse 1 begins by telling us, 
then came he to Derba, Derby, and Lystra. And we know from the end of chapter 15 that this is more than a he. It's more than just Paul because Silas went with Paul as his teammate on this trip. Um, and so Paul and Silas, they head back to the last two cities that they had visited on their first mission trip. The last two cities where they had preached the gospel, people got saved and churches were planted. Both of these locations, they're in Asia Minor, what we refer to today as the country of Turkey. And they, they found a certain disciple there, it says. Um, he may have been saved on that first mission trip. Or he might have been saved prior. We learned from the two New Testament books that were written to him. Um, later, he became a pastor. He had a Christian mother. He had a Christian grandmother. So they may have led him to the Lord. I'm not really sure. We're not really told. But who was it that Paul and Silas find here? They find Timothy, right? He's called Timotheus here. They find Timothy. And the end of verse 1 informs us that his mother, she was ethnically Jewish, uh, but she had trusted in Jesus Christ as her Savior. However, his father was Greek. And then verse 2 lets us know that this young fella, he had a strong testimony of love for Jesus Christ, of living for Christ among his own church and even among the churches that were around that area. And according to verse 3, Paul invites Timothy to accompany him and Silas on this second mission trip. So this mission team has expanded here. But we learn in verse 3 that Paul feels that Timothy needs to be circumcised before he goes on this trip. Now, what in the world is going on here? Um, because, I mean, wasn't it Paul? Wasn't he one of those church officials in chapter 15 that, that led the charge against the false teaching that Gentiles needed to be circumcised prior to being saved as a condition for their salvation? Uh, so, so has Paul changed his mind? Has Paul fallen to this false teaching now as well? No, once again, just like in chapter 15, we're taught about the Christian principle of deference. Now, while Timothy would be viewed as Jewish, he had a Jewish mother, uh, so other Jewish people would view him as such, even though he had a Greek father, Paul felt that in order uh, for this team to have the best opportunities to reach the Jewish people with the gospel message in all the different cities they're going to go to on this trip, um, this was a good idea, that Timothy be circumcised. Uh, we know that was always Paul's missionary method. Whenever this team would arrive uh, in any city, the first place they would go is to the Jewish synagogue where they'd have the opportunity. They'd actually be invited in to teach God's word. And Paul wanted to make sure that this mission trip, uh, uh, this mission endeavor, that it would have absolutely no hindrances to them interacting with those who didn't know Jesus Christ yet. Uh, we know that Paul hadn't changed his view on the matter because one of the reasons uh, for them going on this trip uh, visiting all the churches they had planted was, as verse 4 states, to deliver the decrees for to keep that were ordained to the apostles and elders uh, which were at Jerusalem. One of those decrees was that the Jewish rite of circumcision, that it was not necessary in regard to your salvation. That, that we're saved one way, we're saved one way only, and that is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? That's how we're still saved. And that's what Paul's preaching here. Um, you know, it's pretty remarkable, though, when we think about it, that, that Timothy was willing to go, uh, just so he could be a, a part of this team, Timothy was willing to go through something that was, I mean, biblically, it was unnecessary, um, even painful, even painful. Um, also, he could be a part of this team and have an opportunity to be active in the Great Commission. That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? 
Because I want you to think about something. How much less significant things often tempt you and I to abandon uh, what God has called us to do? I mean, how often are we, you and me, how, are we de- how often are we detoured uh, from sharing the gospel by, by fear or by uh, suffering of any kind <laughs> or by um, just concern about being made fun of? So we have a lot to learn about Timothy's level of commitment to the Great Commission here. We should follow his example and Paul wasn't asking Timothy to do anything that Paul wasn't willing to do himself. I want you to listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. God has Paul write, Though I am free and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible to Jesus Christ. Uh, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like as to one under the law, though I'm not under it, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, God might use me to save some. And here's the main thing Paul says there. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So what about you? What are you willing to lay down? What rights that you have, what rights are you willing to defer from time to time also that you have opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone? And maybe, maybe I should ask, what is it that you're not willing to lay down? Or what is more important to you uh, than Jesus this morning? What is more important to you than having an opportunity to share uh, the hope that you have in Christ with others. So Paul invites Timothy along just as he had Silas. That is such a beautiful picture of what Great Commission disciple-making truly is. It is really, we make it so much more difficult than the Bible makes it. It is really just inviting other people to walk with us as we walk with Jesus. You want a definition for disciple-making? There it is, straight from the Bible. Uh, That can take place in a church, in a classroom like it will in an hour, or through some other program at church. It can, and it does. It does do that. But it's not restricted to that. It better not be. That's not God's design. It is supposed to happen, as Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, as you are going. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, not just at church. You and I inviting people to walk with us as we walk with Jesus Christ. We should be inviting our kids to do that and our grandkids in our home uh, and as we're out and about. So Deuteronomy 6 says uh, we should be inviting our coworkers to do that at our job. We should be inviting our, our friends and our neighbors and our community walk with us as we walk with Jesus. Uh, disciple making happens in the church. It happens at church, but it should be happening through the church everywhere. If we really mean here, there, and everywhere, we got to put in some here's there as well. Um, it should be happening at work. It should be happening at the coffee shop. It should be happening at San Jose later on this morning. Uh, wherever you're going, as you are going. And in verses 4 through 5, we see kind of the whole point of why they were going on this mission trip. We see the church established. And we already looked at part of verse 4, but it is here Um, that the whole reason for the second mission trip is given again. Paul and Silas and now Timothy, they are burdened. 
that the Christians and the churches that were planted on their first trip years earlier, the burden that they would grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. And once again, we are reminded that the Great Commission, it is so much more than simply sharing the gospel with someone, uh, being used of God to lead someone to Christ. The Great Commission is disciple-making. That's a part of it. That's the beginning of it. Um, but it is so much more than that. It's a continual effort of not just helping somebody come to Christ, but a commitment to helping them continue on in Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happened according to verse 5. It says, and so were the churches established in the faith. The Greek is esteruntu. It means they were strengthened. It means that they were settled. And then it says they increased in number daily. Listen, a weak church will not be increasing in number. It won't. And I'm not just talking about attendance. I'm talking about new believers. That's the number that really matters. A weak church won't do that. Uh, but a strong, a disciple-making focused church, that is a church that is quite naturally just going to be multiplying. Um, multiplying by new people coming to Christ. Multiplying by those who have come to Christ. Becoming stronger. Becoming settled. Becoming established in their faith. And so their main purpose for this second mission trip is now accomplished. They've gone to all those cities that they had planted churches on in their first mission trip. Uh, and now they want to do what they did on that first mission trip. They want to share the gospel uh, in new places with people who don't know Jesus as their Savior yet. But we find that they ran into some disciple-making obstacles in Asia. Let me clarify geographical terms here. Uh, they did not go to China. Uh, they did not go to Japan. Uh, we're still talking about Asia Minor. They're still in Turkey, but they're wanting to go to places that have not heard the gospel yet. He wants to go to the western part of Turkey. Um, and that's where this team encounters some divine detours. Divine detours. Verse 6 details their travel itinerary. But the end of verse 6 tells us um, that they were forbidden to preach the word in Asia. Well, who forbid them? What does it say there? Who forbid them? The Holy Ghost, right? The Holy Spirit forbid them. Now, what is that about? <laughs> I thought they were doing what Jesus wanted them to do. What Jesus gave them, the Holy Spirit, so that they could do. As you are going, teach all nations. Share the gospel. What is going on here? And it happens again if we look at verse 7. You know, they say, hey, okay, Lord, we're going to go here. Um, but didn't work. So they make a plan to head from Mysia uh, to Bithynia to take the gospel there. But then it says, but the Spirit suffered them not. I want you to try to put yourself in the shoes of Paul and Silas and Timothy this morning. How would you feel? Would you feel a little confused? No doubt. Would you maybe even be a little frustrated and wonder what I just asked you? What is going on, Lord? Why is the Holy Spirit giving them these obstacles to doing what Jesus commanded them to do? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know because we're not explicitly told why. Um, Paul, one of the other team members, they made, we're not even told how the Holy Spirit forbid them or suffered them not. But one of the team members or Paul, they, they might have gotten some word of prophecy. Um, the Holy Spirit may have told them, don't go here or don't go there. Like audibly, they heard that. It may have been just plain circumstances like Joe and Marie and myself have run into. When Joe came to me Friday morning and said, uh, well, our flight from Vienna to Chisinau has been canceled. God, what's that about? What are you doing, Lord? Have you ever had this happen in your life? 
I mean, not, I'm not necessarily on a mission trip. Let's expand it. Because let me tell you something, Christian. God's intent is that your whole life be a mission trip. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your, your whole life is to be a, a mission trip. Have you ever had a plan, a passion that God gave you, and a plan to do something for God, but somehow God made it clear that you weren't to do that? Or at least not yet. At least not yet. Uh, that's what's happening here. Uh, we can be pretty sure that the Asia that's described in verse 6, it's referring to that area of Turkey, uh, Asia Minor, where these cities were located. Ephesus, and Laodicea, and Philadelphia, and Smyrna, and Sardis, and Pergamon, and Thyatira. Do those names sound familiar to you at all? Like all of them together? Where, where do we find all seven of those names of cities. We find them in the book of Revelation, right, in the first three chapters. Um, and what's in one of those cities? In each one of those cities, what's in there in the book of Revelation? There's churches, right, to the church of Smyrna and Pergamon. Um, that's where Paul wants to go. And, and Paul has the right desire here, but what God is teaching him is, is, Paul, you just don't have the right timing just yet. God would use Paul to share the gospel in, in these places, He'd use Paul to help plant churches there, either directly or through Christians or churches that Paul did plant, and then God used them uh, to plant these churches. But he was just going to do it later on. God was just going to do it later on. We have to remember this. Timing is a significant element in our obedience in so many ways. In this situation with Paul and Silas and Timothy, it's not a no. It's just a not yet. And things may become a little clearer as we go through the rest of this passage. In verses 9 through 10, they receive a divine direction, though. Whether or not they were confused or frustrated, um, God was leading them, even in verses 6 through 8, right? I mean, when he says, he suffers you not to go here, and when he forbids you to go here, isn't that God's leading just as much as him saying, go here? Well, yeah, it is. God's already leading them. Uh, but in verses 9 and 10, the team gets a clear direction from God. And, and please recognize that this direction um, came in their obedience. It came in their obedience. Th this team here, they didn't, muscle, they didn't muscle against the Holy Spirit's previous guidance uh, away from those locations that they wanted to go earlier. They just kept going. And the Holy Spirit clearly directs them to a specific location now in verse 9. Um, Paul receives a vision in the night. We sang about it when Tommy let us sing and send, send the light. He sees a, a man of Macedonia, and that man begs him to come to that area to help them. It says, um, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, verse 9, there stood a man of Macedonia. Now, people in Macedonia, they must have dressed a certain way. They must have had some kind of Macedonian accent in order for Paul to recognize that he was a man from Macedonia before he said, come and, come and help us in Macedonia. Um, I don't know. That, that happens at times, you know. When I was a pastor here, I, was, uh, I wasn't even pastor here. I was youth pastor. Dr. White was here. Um, me and Tommy uh, were trying to do pastor stuff uh, that Dr. White couldn't do, like go visit people. And, and I remember, I think I, I think I had been here like six, eight months, right? And we had one uh, individual here in this church, Miss Linda Brisson. She was having a, you know, somewhat serious surgical procedure. I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, but, I, you know, I, I went to, to go pray with her. She asked, you know, would you come and pray with me before we have that? And so um, I knew her well. Um, she comes to our church. I, I don't know her family well. Uh, they all, most of them go to Bethel, right? And so um, 
I remember going into Cape Fear Valley, and um, I was early, but they had already moved her back into the room. And when I got there, and I said, well, you know, they said, you can go back. But I got there, and I was like, well, I don't know this lady's family. I don't don't know how in the world I'm going to, like, figure out who these people are. And um, I walked into the the waiting room area where they told me to sit put until they take me back. And and I looked around, and there was a a group of individuals over here, and uh, I knew immediately who they were. You know how I knew? Because there were about three or four guys there, and they had on... um, Costa shirts and Beach and Barn shirts, and every single one of them men had hey dudes on. I said, there's my Bladen County people right there. I don't know if men of Macedonia, if they dressed a certain way, if they had a certain, uh, certain way of dressing in that culture, uh, it's possible. What does the team do, though, in verse 10? What do they do in response to this divine direction? It says, immediately, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, because we assuredly gathered that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. Let me draw your attention to two things here. How are we to obey when we get clear direction from God? Maybe we come across something in his word. You can't get much clearer than that, right? How are we to obey? Just like they did. Immediately, immediately. That's what my mama always told me about obedience. I'm to obey immediately, immediately. I'm to obey sweetly. Because sometimes you can obey immediately and not obey sweetly, right? You don't want to go clean my room. And you're to obey completely. Sometimes I can obey immediately and sweetly. And my version of clean my room was stick everything under my bed. We're to obey immediately, sweetly, completely. That's what they do here. Secondly, look at that little pronoun there, we. Uh, This mission team's expanded again. Now it's Paul and Silas and Timothy. And with this we, they must have picked up Luke and Troas. We got four now. And in this rest of the passage this morning, we learn of disciple-making operational in Macedonia. We're taught in verses 11 to 14 important gospel truth about how regeneration functions, the functioning of regeneration. Verse 11, it gives us details of their trip from Troas to Macedonia. They made it in record time. The wind must have been with the sails. It took way longer when they made the return trip. Uh, Macedonia is an area. It's kind of like a state or a province at this time. And one of the chief cities there is Philippi. Now, uh, it makes sense when taking the gospel to a new area to go somewhere where there's going to be a lot of people, right? That's what Paul's usual method was, at least at first. So they spent a few days there in Philippi. And then it says, when the Sabbath day came around, they did what Paul typically did. And they went to share the gospel with the Jewish people first, but not in a synagogue. There was no synagogue in Philippi. There must not have been a large Jewish population there. Jewish culture demanded that in order to have a synagogue, you needed at least 10 men. You couldn't have one. If you had nine men and one lady, you couldn't have a synagogue. All right? And so we know that they didn't have one, um, and there must not have been a a large Jewish population. If they didn't do that, um, Jewish culture and religion said that Jews should meet outside, that they should worship near a river. And that's where we find this mission team heading, according to verse 13. Uh, the probable reason for the Jewish people meeting by a river has to do with the purification rituals that were part of their worship on the Sabbath. And this team here, they begin to interact with the women who were there worshiping. And they begin sharing God's word with them, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one lady, one lady who's highlighted in this passage. There's a woman, and her name is Lydia. 
And we learn that she was a seller of purple. So she either probably uh, designed or, or made or sold clothes that were dyed with a purple dye that comes from a, a local shellfish and a local plant root. Um, it probably also infers that she was wealthy. It was expensive stuff. Um, she was from one of those cities, we learn, that Paul had earlier desired to go to and share the gospel. She is from Thyatira, it tells us. And then what else does it say about her? Who did she worship? She worshiped God. Well, that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's why these ladies are out there worshiping. But she didn't know Jesus. She didn't know Jesus yet. In verse 14, it powerfully and it clearly helps us understand the functioning of regeneration. This is what happens when we are born again. This is what happens when you and I trust Christ as Savior. This is, first of all, she heard them. She heard them share about who Jesus is and what he had done for her. And then what did God do? It says the Holy Spirit opened her heart so that she attended the things which were spoken of Paul. So, so how does regeneration function? How does regeneration happen? First of all, someone shares the gospel. It doesn't happen apart from that. Someone shares the gospel. They share God's word with someone who has never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. But, th- but that's not enough. That's not enough. I mean, that happens all the time. <laughs> the gospel is shared all the time. And, and, and people are not regenerated. People aren't saved. People aren't born again. Something else needs to happen. And we're taught here about that. The Lord has to open their heart. Now, theologically, um, Calvinists, they call this effectual calling. That's one of their newer terms for it. Uh, those with a different perspective on, on what God's word says about salvation, they call it enabling grace. I really don't care. It really doesn't matter what you call it. Ain't nobody getting saved without the Holy Spirit. Amen? It just doesn't happen. <laughs> you can't will yourself to get saved. The Holy Spirit has to be involved. That is just how sinful you and I are as human beings. We can hear over and over. We can hear the gospel message, and what can we do? We can stop up our ears. Uh, the Holy Spirit can be at work, and we can resist his work. And then what Stephen preached back in Acts chapter 7 to the Jewish Sanhedrin, I mean, Stephen laid it out there. He says, you stiff-necked people. <laughs> you, uh, your hearts and your ears, they're, they're still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And so regeneration, a person being born again, a person getting saved, it happens only when these two functions are present according to the Word of God. First of all, you need the Word of God. And then, um, secondly, the Holy Spirit opens a person's heart. I want you to focus in on one word there. Opens their heart to do what? To attend. To attend unto what is shared. The Greek word for attend is prosecco. It means to hold to. It wasn't just that, that he opened their heart. He gave them this desire, this will to hold to. It means to turn to. And isn't that what repent and believe means? That's the gospel message. That's the message John the Baptist preached. That is the message Jesus preached. That's the gospel message that you and I, who have trusted Christ the Savior, who have had their hearts open, who have turned to and are holding to Christ, that is the message that we are to share. When the gospel is shared, when the Holy Spirit does his work, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ and is born again, do you know what happens? Well, we find out in the last verse, in verse 15. You're going to see some features of regeneration. Now, we know Lydia was born again, that she was saved that Sabbath morning by the riverside because of verse 15. She did what Jesus' followers do after they are saved, not to be saved, but because they have been born again, she was baptized. 
Apparently, her whole, her whole household trusted in Christ the Savior because it says that they were too. Now, Lydia may have been widowed. Um, she may never have been married. There's no husband mentioned here. There's no kids mentioned here. Um, she's referred to in this passage as the head of her household. And that term in the Greek, it can include your servants. Um, and, and we know this. She had a big house. She had a big house. She was a wealthy woman, lots of room. We know that because verse 15 tells us that after she was saved and baptized, she pleaded. She pleaded with this now four-man team to stay with her for a while as they continued with their disciple-making mission. This woman's life had been transformed by Jesus Christ. It had changed life. That is the feature of regeneration, of someone being saved, of someone being born again. It's evidence that it has happened. You know, one of, one of my favorite preachers that was A.W. Tozer, and he once stated this, you can be sure of this. The Holy Spirit never enters a man and then lets him keep on living like the world. There's going to be features of regeneration. Uh, there will be evidence that they have turned to and are holding to Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to ask you this. Have you been born again? I mean, have you ever heard uh, who Jesus is and what he's done for you on that cross and in that empty tomb to take away your sins, forgive them completely, and to give you new life in Christ now, to give you eternal life with Christ forever in heaven one day? Have you ever been born again when you heard that gospel message? Maybe uh, you're hearing it for the first time this morning, but, but just hearing it, that won't save you. Uh, it's got to go from hearing to the head, make its way to the heart. Uh, that's what attending the gospel, just like Lydia did. Uh, we got to attend to the gospel that was shared. We need to turn from sin. We need to turn to Christ. We need to hold on to Christ. And so my question is, is he opening your heart? Is he moving you this morning to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior right now? Don't close it. Don't harden your heart. Don't do that again. Because God promises you in his word, he promises full and free forgiveness if you will turn in faith to Christ. But nowhere in his word does he ever promise you another opportunity to do so if you reject this one. Won't you right now, in prayer, even as I'm speaking, confess your sins to him? Tell him that you trust. Tell God right now in prayer that you trust only in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. It says you must be born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. You must be born again. Not you must be a Baptist. Not you must be a Methodist. Um, not that your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds. Can't happen, won't ever work. It's not a possibility. You must be born again. And so if the Holy Spirit's opening your heart, won't you just say yes this morning? And if you've got questions about what that means, I mean, look on the back of our bulletin. Look on our website. It says how you can be born again. Let me know. And, and please tell me if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. I'd like to help you. Uh, I'd like to know just for one, but I'd also like to help you along in your new relationship with Christ. Christian, you who have done that, you, you know when it comes to obeying Jesus in the mission trip that is your life. Um, are you a Timothy? And what I mean is, is, what is it that you struggle to defer for the sake of the gospel? What, what fear is it that prevents you from doing what Jesus asked you to do? Will you lay it down this morning? In walking with the Lord and inviting others to walk with you, um, have you encountered obstacles? 
Is there something right now that you feel like you're muscling against instead of just keeping on, instead of just trusting the Lord to guide you? You know, we have no specifics given for this divine detour, but I do wonder if it was simply, if God did this simply to help this new mission team uh, understand to trust God and understand to rely on God on this trip. Like, Like, was this God telling these fellas, I love your passion. I love it. You have my heart. I love your passion. That's not my problem. My problem is with your current pace. Your passion's good, but, but your current pace is not showing a reliance on my guidance. You're doing it in your own effort. Paul wanted to share the gospel in places like Ephesus and Thyatira. What did God do? God sent them to Philippi. And you know what? Because he obeyed and because he aligned himself with God's will and God's timing in all of this, uh, a church was planted there. Lydia got saved. And God used her to plant the church at Philippi. How do we know that? Well, there's a book of Philippians. And um, this lady from Thyatira, that was her hometown. I got a pretty good idea that God used her at some point to go back home and probably be a help in some aspect of that church being established. Do you see how God works everything out according to his time when we're simply faithful, when we're full of faith and obedience? So, so won't you tell him this morning, you're worthy of my trust. I can let you handle it. Uh, I will trust in your greater wisdom and purpose. I know you're good, and I know that you're working everything for my good. This time he comes and leads us in a time to respond. However, the Holy Spirit's using God's word to open your heart. Maybe he's there to open your heart today. Would you just obey?